God is working out his purpose universally, but he is working out his plan specifically. His universal purpose has to do with all of creation, but his plan has to do with you and I specifically. And it is understanding this truth, it is having this faith in the grace of God that is working in your life and mine that causes me to know that every moment, every hour, every day, every week is in God's hands. And the fact that nothing that happens can unless God allows it. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. AZ.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in several different pieces of Scripture. We'll have them on the screen. We started a series last week on faith, and I want to take you as we continue that series today on the second part of living a victorious Christian life, and that is very simply that faith is believing even where we're not permitted to see. Faith is believing. There are many times in our life that things happen that we can't explain. I shared a moment ago, we were talking about Sandy's mom, a woman who loved God, a woman that was very vocal in her commitment of God. Why did God allow cancer to be the end of her life? As we talk over these next couple weeks, I'm going to try to address those questions. But what I want to do this morning for the next few moments is take you on a journey of helping us to see what we can't see, that we can believe what we haven't believed. You see, I believe in your notes that the Lord is gracious in hiding our future from us. There are many of us, if we would have known what we were going to go through before we went through it, how many would have said, I'll pass on that one? But yet there is a purpose. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, to everything under under the sun, there is a purpose. There's a time, there's a place. Back in the 60s, I believe it was the birds that made Scripture very famous when they sang that song, Turn, Turn, Turn. I remember the song. See, you memorized Scripture, didn't even know it. To every time there is a purpose, to every season under the sun, 
there is a purpose. And God is gracious, I believe, in hiding the future from us, even though most of us would sit back and say, God, give me a sneak peek. I can handle it. I want to know how this thing's going to turn out. Deuteronomy 29, a very prominent place in Scripture, says that the secret things belong to God. Do we have the Scripture up today? Deuteronomy 29, is it not back there? It's not back there. I didn't give it to you. Then open your Bibles. Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to God. But the things that God has revealed to us, say that with me, the things that God has revealed to us belong to us and our children forever. You see, God is the one that reveals things. God is the one that opens the eyes of our understanding that we might see. And I'm going to make a statement. I I left it in your notes. We must accept that we are not meant to know all things. Can I say that again? If we're going to be a people living a victorious Christian life and be a people that are living a life of faith, you and I have to accept that we are just simply not going to know everything. As a matter of fact, the longer we live, the more you and I will come to the place of realizing that God keeps the future from us. You know what I call it? I call it mercy that causes God to veil my eyes. Why? Because I I don't want to know the way my dad died. I don't want to know the way my brother died. I don't want to know, could you turn the phone off, please, unless it's God calling. I don't want to know that I'm going to lose my dad and my brother within a six-week period. I don't want to know that. Because I'm going to torment my life of doing everything I can do to stop what God said was going to happen. How many can say amen? I have to sit by faith and realize that God's mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. God's ways are beyond finding out. A lot of people say, well, I just wish I had a crystal ball. God gave you something better. It's called grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing, and he says, because of the extravagant of these revelations, I'm reading out of the, out of the uh, message translation. Did I not give this to you either? They're in the bulletin? Good. Look at your bulletin. Because of the extravagance, of those revelations, and out of the message translation, I love it, you know, Eugene Peterson says it this way, so that I wouldn't get a big head, Paul said that I wouldn't be caught up in the thought that it might be me somehow. He said I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Then he goes on to say, oh, Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was get me down. 
He pushed me to my knees. Look at me. There's some times that life's going on are not to lift you up, but to push you down to where up is the only place you can go. At first, he said, I didn't think of it as a gift. Matter of fact, I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then God said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. And then he tells us what grace is. He said, it's my strength that comes into its own in your weakness. Paul said, once I heard that, I was glad to let stuff happen. He said, I quit focusing on the problems. I quit focusing on my inabilities, my insecurities, my frustrations, and I began to appreciate the gift. It was a case of God's strength moving in the midst of my weakness. God moving in in those areas of weakness. And listen to what Paul says at the close of this passage. He said, now, I take limitations with stride. Matter of fact, I take them with good cheer. Why? Because limitations that cut me down to a size, to abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I realize when I'm not focused on those, God is able to take over. And the weaker I am, the stronger I get. Say, Pastor, this is a funny place to start faith on. Not at all. This is faith in God's grace. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, which is not on the screen either, it's by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. You see, it's this faith in His grace that enables you and I to face an unknown future with absolute confidence and certainty that God is going to work out what He's working in. Second Peter, hopefully I left all of these in your notes because they're not on the screen for whatever reason I did this. The third chapter of Second Peter, oh, there they are. Thank you, ladies, for being instant in season and out of season. I'm using Eugene Peterson's translation once again. I just thought it was so wonderful in this picture. He said, interpret our master's patient restraint for what it is, salvation. And he, he gives that little parenthesis there. He says, the patient restraint is why he allows some of the things to happen in your life and mind that he allows. He said, take it for what it is our salvation, our redemption, our deliverance, our victory. He said, Paul, who has given us much wisdom, who has written some of these things that are really difficult to understand, he said, you and I grab a hold of them, and we understand them. But then he goes out and talks about the world and talks about those who are not living the Christian life. He said, irresponsible people who don't, know what they're talking about. They twist the scriptures, all of the scriptures, and in the course, they destroy themselves along the way. 
I want to make a statement that's in your notes. God is working out his purpose universally, but he is working out his plan specifically. His universal purpose has to do with all of creation, but his plan has to do with you and I specifically. And it is understanding this truth, it is having this faith in the grace of God that is working in your life and mine that causes me to know that every moment, every hour, every day, every week is in God's hands. And the fact that nothing that happens can unless God allows it. Can I tell you something? Look at me for just a second. Can I tell you something? Your darkest hour is still only 60 minutes. And for those of you that choose to live in the past, your brightest day is still only 24 hours. Why do we choose to live in either? Why do we choose to purpose our life? When you and I come to grips of understanding that God's going to hide the future, he's not going to just open it up and show you this is what's going to take place. Why, if we know that, can we not stand in the confidence that knowing nothing touches the father's child unless it first touches the child's father? How many remember the psychic network? Anybody here? I'm not saying you called them. I'm trying to trick question. How many remember the psychic network? Did you know they went went bankrupt? You think they would have seen it coming, don't you? I'm not quite sure how that works. Actually, I know exactly how it works. Ladies and gentlemen, God is the only one who knows the future. Psychics brainwash people by asking them questions that produce the answers that they're looking for. Plus, they have what the Bible calls a familiar spirit working with them, so if you go to them, stop it. You're inviting demons to come into your life. Oh, pastor, you're trying to scare me. I'm just telling you the facts. See, reading the future is the cheap, easy way of making money because nobody knows what it's going to be. But it sure sounds grand when they're telling you, doesn't it? None of you have ever been there. I know, okay. You don't understand what I'm talking about. Can I tell you something? The stars have about as much effect on us as we have on them. But the maker of the stars can transform your life if you let him. Can somebody say amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this place. Isaiah chapter 46. Listen to what the scripture says. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, remember the things I have done in the past? And underline this in your notes. I alone am God. And in case you didn't get that line, he repeats it. I am God. There is no one like me. And underline this too, if you are one of those folks that happen to peruse the horoscopes. Why do you peruse anything that starts with horror? I'm not quite sure how that works. I want to know how freaky my future is going to be. Horror. That's not in my notes, folks. That was a free one. That was just not there. 
He said, there is none like me. And listen to what he says. Only I can tell the future before it happens. And then underline this in your notes if you would. Everything I plan will come to pass. Now, stop there for a second. Did you underline that in your notes? Did you? Write your name next to that. Everything God has planned for you will come to pass. The key to our victory is it that we need in our lives is to know that our life is based on the secure certain promises of God. And I, I, I want you to add this. It's actually in your notes at a later place, but I wanted to put it up there earlier. There's not a single person I know, your pastor included, that has unshakable faith. But I have an unshakable God. There's not a single person that has unshakable faith. Our faith will be shaken. The Bible says there's a time coming that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. We will be shaken, but God won't be. We can have an unshakable faith, but we have an unshakable God. And the truth today is that God wants you to know you can be stable in confidence knowing that he will work out what he's working in. Let's go to our text, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Please tell me it's on the screen. Thank you, Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, his days are limited. His time is limited. His hours are limited. And he's writing to probably one of his greatest disciples, a young man by the name of Timothy. And Timothy, you have to understand, look at me, it's not in your notes, so look at me just a second. Let me give you a little background. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. He was pastoring under the dominion of a king by the name of Nero. Nero was not a happy dude. This guy was so frustrated, so caught up in anxiety, he would kill family members off. He would kill anybody just to keep power to himself. He built himself a garden, and he loved his garden so much that he wanted to enjoy it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How many know they didn't invite, invent streetlights back when Nero was alive? And so he's trying to figure out a way to eliminate his garden, and the little torches just didn't quite do it. Well, Nero was not a fan of Christians. And so Nero thought, well, hey, I can take two birds with one stone. I could deal with some of these noisome Christians, some of these irritants in my life, and I can light my garden at the same time. So he would impale them on a post, cover them in tar and pitch, and light them on fire to eliminate what now we know as the hanging gardens. This is where Timmy's pastoring. You and I think we've gone through some struggles. And look what he starts out as he's writing. He builds up Timothy. He said, Timothy, you've got to understand, you know, you were, you were raised in a godly family. You were raised in, in great understanding of the things of God. But he had to jump in there because Paul is in prison writing this. Paul is Timothy's strength. 
in the natural. Paul is Timothy's guidance and direct, and Paul's in prison. Tim's got all kinds of things swirling around in his head, wondering what in the world's going on. His certainty, his security is all being challenged just like you and I do at times. And Paul's writing to him in the seventh verse, and he said, Timothy, that spirit of fear you're dealing with, God didn't give it to you. That timidity, that fear to step out, God didn't give it to you. That timidity. He said, but listen to me, son. God gave you power. God gave you, bless you. God gave you love. He gave you blessings too. Yes, he did. And he gave you self-discipline. Or in the original, the King James, it says a sound mind. So he said, never be ashamed of telling others about Christ. Well, Paul is telling, he said, Timothy, I don't care what the circumstances get like. Go talk about God. And he said, don't be ashamed of me when people come up and say, well, if Paul was a great man of God, and if God was really working in his life, why would he be in jail? How many ever had people tell you that? You're going through something? Oh, you must be weak in faith. Things aren't going well in your life? Oh, you are not. Where is God? Has anybody besides me ever had that happen? Has anybody here ever thought that when you're going through it? He said, with the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer. And then Paul gives us some great understanding. Look at this in your notes. He said, this is why I'm suffering in prison. Because of the gospel. And he said, I'm not ashamed. He said, this is why I'm in prison. He said, I know who I trust. And I know that he's able to guard what he has been, what I have entrusted him with until that day that he returns. You see, God, in his word from Genesis to Revelation, gives you and I promises to keep us from worry. This is what causes our faith to grow. You see, what faith does is faith enables you and I to live a life free from worry. But let me add a little caveat in there, and I have it in your notes, not free from concern, but free from worry. And there's a world of difference between being concerned and being anxious. You see, you can be concerned, you can have a burden about something that you take to God in prayer, but when you worry and you mill over things, all you're doing is you're being concerned about the, or being worried about the outcome. Remember we talked about the secret things belong to, the outcome belongs to God. Can I hear you say amen? And you and I, what God wants us to do is he wants us to build our faith and understanding he takes care of the outcome. There's some 3,000 promises that I find from Genesis to Revelation. And many, many of God's promises begin with the words, fear not, or do not fear, or don't be afraid. Matter of fact, many Bible scholars over the years that I have read said there's some 365 times that God tells us not to be afraid in one way or another. That's interesting. Aren't there 365 days in a year? 
I was just, just a thought, just kind of in there. Coincidence, right? But most of them say, don't fear, and then it tells us the reason why we shouldn't fear. Let me take you to Romans 14. You don't have to turn there, but you can just jot it down. 14.23 says the fear, or worry, rather, is sin. It says anything that is not of faith is sin. Do you know when you look up synonyms of the word worry? Do you know what is in there in great big bold letters? Fear. I love the way many scholars, Joyce Meyer being one of them, says fear is just an acronym of false evidence appearing real. Some say, well, Pastor, how we live in an uncertain world. How do you overcome that? Because we have a certain position in Christ. We don't have to know the way. We just have to walk in God. Because God, as I've said, is working out what he's working in. Paul writes to Second Timothy, or to Timothy in this chapter, to give him confidence and, and, and comfort. And he says, God hasn't given you that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-discipline. He goes on in the fourth chapter, and he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, keep a clear mind in every situation. Now look at me for a second. What is he talking about? You and I go through perplexities of life that we cannot fully grasp a hold of. But if you are a child of God and I am a child of God, what am I supposed to do in the midst of that wrong? Right. I'm supposed to keep my feet firmly planted on what God... Well, Pastor, you don't understand what's going on. It doesn't matter what's going on. I can take you back to Job and we can read through the entire book of Job's and Job firmly planted his his feet. He said, okay, well, praise the Lord. God brought me into the world naked, taking me out naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a concept. Why do we lose this? He said, Timothy, keep your mind clear in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the things of God. Tell other people the good news. Fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. And then listen to what he talks about his life. Look, look at Paul. Look, look at this guy. He, he's going to die. But he's writing like he's preparing to take a journey. He's writing like he's going to jump on a cruise ship and, and, and go someplace. I know it's there, so don't get nervous. Paul says. As for my life, it's already been poured out. I've already made myself an offering to God. The time of my death is near. And then he comes into understanding. He said, Tim, I fought a good fight. And then he said, I finished 
the plan that God made for me. And then he told Timothy how he did it because I kept the faith. I remained faithful to God. I did right in the midst of the wrong. And he said, now there's a prize waiting for me, and not for me only, but to everyone that eagerly waits his appearing. You know what Paul is saying? He's basically saying, you know, I fought long and hard, but it's been worth it all the way. He said, I've had struggles, I've had setbacks, but I kept my focus, and I didn't allow fear to destroy my faith. So, Timothy, you do the same thing. He's telling Timothy, he's saying, son, you're going to make it. Let me tell you, as Paul would have told his young Timothy, let me tell you, victorious life, you're going to make it. You're going to go through some struggles. You're going to deal with some situations. You're going to have some, but you're going to make it. Why? Because God has said, I'm working for you. He said, Timothy, remember the roots of your life? And then he, he dealt with it. He said, he said, guy, we're always, all of us are afraid at times. I don't know about you, but, but your pastor here gets afraid at times. I'm wondering, God, how is this circumstance going to turn around? But that fear quite soon turns to faith. Let me change the terminology. We all have concerns at times. But we have learned not to live in or with that fear. Lamentations 3, it's not in your it's not on the screen, so don't even look at it, but you can turn there. 21 to 23. Jeremiah is really perplexed and frustrated, but he's sitting there and he says, I recall to mind all that God has already done. And because of what he has done, I have hope in what he's going to do. Because I know where I am at, God's tender mercies will not allow me to be consumed. And God's compassions, they will not fail. But every single morning, they are brand new because God's faithfulness is great. Every night, the sun goes down on that chapter of your life. I don't care if that chapter is a day long, a week long, a month long, a year long. But every night, the sun sets on that, effectively closing out that day. You say, well, pastor, it's still going to be there tomorrow, only if you choose to wake up and greet it. Because God said his faithfulness is new every morning. Am I making sense today? God has not given you and I that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He hasn't given me fear. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things. He gave me a sound mind. He said, I can cast down imagination in 1 Corinthians 5.10. And every thought that erases itself above the knowledge of God. Why? Because God envelops me in love. And 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. And folks, when I walk in Christ, I'm walking in perfect love. Are you with me today? Paul said, I understand exactly where I've been. I understand exactly where I'm at. But he said, the thing that keeps me going is I understand exactly where I'm going. 
You see, something about faith is you really don't understand faith until you're tested. You don't understand what faith is really all about until the pressure is on. Paul said, I'm in jail for the purpose of the gospel. I don't know what that does to you, but that causes me to understand I'm going through some of this stuff that I'm going through for the sake of the gospel. And that makes it okay in my life. There's teachings, as I approached yes earlier, that say, if you're living for God, you're not going to go through these things. Yet the Bible teaches there are many struggles that you and I face because we're living for God. But yet I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says that God will not allow us to go through anything we cannot handle. I went back into the original language, and I wanted to break that verse down for you. But it says, with every testing, every temptation, he will make a way to escape. Let me read it to you as it's kind of translated out of the original language. It goes like this. No temptation, no trial that will entice you to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, will overtake you or lay hold of you. And then it goes on to say, everyone is going through this. No temptation or trial that you're dealing with is beyond human resistance. But God adjusts and adapts it that you can bear and rise up under it. And then I love the second part of this. It says, because God is faithful. He's compassionate to his word and his nature. And he can be trusted. That he will not allow you to be tempted tried, assayed beyond the ability and strength of the resistance and the power he has given you to endure. And he said, but with every temptation, he will provide a way out. Literally means he'll either give you a way to escape or give you a safe landing place. I learned a long time ago something that I read was so true. I learned it before I read it. But there are times that God will calm the storm, but more times than not, he will calm the child because he'll use the storm to change his life. There are people that say, well, pastor, all you got to do is pray. And if the situation isn't good and you don't like it, just pray. If it's not nice, God will change it. If he doesn't change it, it's because there's sin in your life. Get rid of the sin, life will be good again. Or if it's not sin, you check it all out, and you're not living in sin, there's nothing going on, then you have a lack of faith. But folks, I cannot find that in my scriptures. I find in my scripture that God is working out what he's working in. That God won't let me go through anything, but he will let me go through things. How do you measure faith? by the testings that you and I can stand. Let me take you to Matthew 8 and give you a little synopsis of a story. Peter and the disciples are just coming down off the mountainside, off, off of the summit of Beatitudes. 
thousands are fed, miracles galore. Jesus takes them down to the shore, and he says, get in the boat and go to the other side. What would be the first clue that God is going to take care of things? When he said, get in the boat and go to the other side. I don't find in the scripture where it says, get in the boat and go in the middle, and the storm's going to come, and you're going to drown. Does it say that in your Bible? I don't see him saying, get in the boat and, and go, and you're going to spring a leak, and, and all of y'all are going to have to just deal with all kinds of stuff, and, and don't worry, I'll, I'll save you the last second. No. He said, get in the boat and go to the other side. If the word of God says, go to the other side, how many think he means go to the other side? So they come down, and all these great miracles, Peter is on this high, and, and all of a sudden, they get in the boat. And Jesus is tired. He gets in the boat and he falls asleep. All of a sudden, they're out in the ocean and out in the lake and, and the storm raises up. And Jesus was sleeping. How many have been, been so tired? It doesn't matter what you're going through. You're okay. You're sleeping. There's throwing water all over the place. They're just trying to save their lives, and all of a sudden one of them yells down to where Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish? Jesus gets up, and he calms the sea and the waves and the winds. Now the problem isn't the storm. The problem is, what manner of man is this? A whole new set of circumstances. Who are we in the presence of that even the sea and the winds obey? And then Jesus made a statement. How is it that you have no faith? Why were you so filled with fear? Do you see the correlation? How faith and fear work together? Now, let me help us to understand because you and I are probably going to chime in with Peter. What do you mean to have no faith? We've left everything, our jobs, our family, our friends. We've left everything to follow you. What do you mean we have no faith? Let me tell you what Jesus is saying. Why don't you have it when you need it? Folks, it's easy to have faith when you don't need it, when everything's going smooth. But when the pressure's on, why do you crack up? Why do you fall apart? Why do you start looking for every other option to deal with it? Am I making any sense at all? The same God that said, get in the boat, said, go the other side. He didn't say there wasn't going to be problems in the middle. He said, where was your faith when you needed it? You see, it's not how much faith we have. It's using faith when we need it. We have to ask ourselves, is our certainty in our situation, our circumstance, our victory, or is it in our God? Because I've learned, folks, we don't need great faith. We just need faith in a great God. 
as I shared earlier, nobody has unshakable faith, but we do have an unshakable God. And it is your faith and mine that causes us to stand. Our faith will fail unless we believe that God is infallible. So you see, it's not the size of faith, it's the content of our faith. The Bible says if you have the the, the size of faith as a grain of mustard seed. No, it's not talking about the fact of a seed. It's talking about that it's not that big of faith that makes the difference. I've shared with people for years, you and I could sit down and we could crack open an apple. And we could count that apple, and every apple usually has between five and nine seeds in it. Go home and count them out. Any of us can sit down and count the seeds in that apple, but God knows the apples in the seed. And that's the faith you and I have to develop. That says, I, I don't understand. I don't know why it's all going the way it's going. I don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening. But I know that God's happening in the midst of what's happening. And that's where I stand. God, that apple might rot, but there's nine other seeds that's going to produce a whole bunch of apples that's going to turn it all for good. Can somebody say amen in this place? See, faith is like that. We may only have faith in God. It may be very small, but if it's strong, we'll be amazed at how that small faith will enable you and I to do great things. Let me close this this morning. Paul was in jail. And I want to bring a simple truth out that hopefully will help us understand. Why is it that when Paul was in jail in Philippi, he was only there for a few hours? But when he was in jail in Rome, he was there almost three years. Same apostle, same God, same people praying. What was the difference? If you'll grab a hold of this, this will give you some victory. Because there's times in your life and mine that we go through little things and we go through big things. When Paul was in jail in Philippi, Paul was just in the ministry. He was just coming to his own and learning about the things of God and and having. He spent 14 years on the backside of the desert. He had come back and God was doing great things. People were getting saved, lives were being changed, and all of a sudden they didn't like what was going on. The devil rose up. Paul goes to jail in Philippi. He's there for a few hours. The Bible says that the prison was shaken, the stocks were broken, the jailer got saved, the entire jail got saved, and Paul was completely set free in a few hours. Do you know why? God didn't need Paul in jail. God needed Paul preaching. Paul needed the world to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. He needed the world to know the grace of God that was through his son, Jesus Christ. Paul had the mysteries of God. And God said, I can't have you in jail right now, son. I need to get you back on the streets. So what happens? Oh, he sends this little earthquake, breaks a few stocks, sets people free, delivers miracles, salvations. And then just a few years later, 
Boom. Paul's in prison in Rome. Three, almost three years, a little over two and a half years, he's sitting in prison in Rome. What was the difference? I'll tell you very simply. In Philippi, Paul was just coming to the streets. He was just starting to affect people. And God said, you need to get back out there. In Rome, God said, okay, Paul, your days are shortened. My people need a New Testament. Paul left him in prison for almost three years. This entire New Testament, two-thirds of it, came from the quiet and solitude of a Roman prison. God needed Paul in a place where he could spend time alone with him, where he could write everything down. Folks, when he was in prison, they didn't do all the beatings and all the different stuff. They did originally, but then they just let him go. And God was able to pen two-thirds of the New Testament in a prison cell in Rome. You see, in Philippi, Paul needed to get back to the streets. In Rome, God needed a book for you and I to follow. You see the difference? There's times things happen in your life and mine, it goes quickly because God says, that's all I need to do. There's other times we go through it for a period of time because God's building, God's purposing, God's planning. God's plan for your and my life is always done. God's purposes will be worked out. God doesn't give us faith that we can change God's will. He gives us faith that we can accept God's will. God doesn't give us faith that we can understand because the Bible teaches we're not always going to understand. God gives us faith that we can accept what we don't understand. We have to become absolutely convinced of the truth that Paul was convinced of. Paul said, I know God so well that I have no doubt he's going to finish what he started. He's going to do what he promised. And I'm convinced of this truth so much that I don't need anything else. Whatever he has given me today, he is able to take me through tomorrow. Whatever is happening in your life, my dear friend, whatever it is, God is able to keep you in and get you through. Do you believe that? See, this is faith, folks. Faith is not some pie-in-the-sky dream. It is the reality of confidence that God is working out what he is working in. Are we trusting God in this? Are we trusting God in our family? Are we trusting God in our job? Are we trusting God in our health? in our well-being, in our finances? Listen to this simple statement. What we keep will cause us to worry. What we give will cause us to trust. If you've given your life wholly, what is there to worry about? Because it's all in the hands of the one you can trust. Can you say amen? 
Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.